You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, for service times or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Hardly feel right to break into this, but um, I believe this is a word that um, really is for this special time. You know, since we got married, um, David and I have read together every evening. And um, it's been our practice not to go through the whole of Scripture in a year, because we must be a bit lazy, but we do the Old Testament and Proverbs one year, and the New Testament and Psalms the next year. And it works for us. Okay, but this year, we're on the Old Testament and Proverbs. Now, I don't know about you, but there are a great number of things in the Old Testament that I really struggle with. And I know it's there, and I know that it's there for purpose, and I know that it's really important because we often see in the New Testament the fulfillment of what's there in the Old. But I find there is such a lot of blood. Every, almost every book, there's loads and loads of blood being shed. And then there's all the generations, all the genealogy. Now, I really am interested in genealogy, but some of the names that these people are called, oh my goodness, I find it really quite difficult. And the other thing I find really difficult is, why did the Israelites behave the way they did? Why didn't they know that God was with them? Why didn't they trust all the miracles that they saw? I've got a thousand questions I want answered from the Old Testament. But then I came across a verse that made me stop and really, where's Margaret? Where's our peg? It made me ponder peg. We do love to ponder in Riverview Church, but it really got me thinking and it was in the middle of a a text that I really was not expecting God to say very much to me about, if I'm being brutally honest. So my title for this preach is It's about time. Now, it's about time can go two ways. It's about time you understood that, or it's about time, it's almost time. It's a phrase that we hear a great deal day by day, don't we? We hear it all all the time. We're waiting on someone, and eventually they appear. And frustration might make us respond, it's about time. Often you should keep that in your head. Don't let it come out your mouth because it's not good, but it's about time. And sometimes it's, we say it because the pennies just dropped for somebody and relief makes us have that phrase, it's about time. It might be something that was glaringly obvious to everybody around them, but for that one person, it was hard and they weren't seeing it. Maybe it's someone that you've prayed for for donkey's years And suddenly they see that Jesus is alive and that he's real. They see it for themselves. And really what we want to say is, it's about time. It's almost like the scales have fallen off their eyes, isn't it? Or um, we say they've seen the light. Although I heard somebody testify one time and said she was constantly looking for this light that everybody talked about. (laughs) And I thought, as Christians, we use these funny little phrases, but, but it is about time. Maybe that's what God was saying to me 
that it was about time I was reading the Old Testament in a different way. Um, I'm, surely, uh, I'm sure he must have been thinking that. But anyway, it's certainly this verse jumped out at me. So I want you to come with me to First Chronicles chapter 12. I've never spoken from Chronicles um, ever. So my focus is going to be on verse 32. But before we read it, I want to set it in subcontext. Um, First and Second Chronicles was originally one book. And then they split it up because they thought it was easier to understand that way. And the same is true for Samuel and for Kings. It used to be one book, but now we've, we've got them split into, into two. And they're part of what we call the historical books in the Old Testament. Now, I love history. I really love history because I know that what happened in the past reflects on what happens in the future. And that's true in our own lives as well as in Scripture. So let me just do a little recap on what was happening to the children of Israel at this time. So if we read these three books, six books, we would learn that originally Israel was one kingdom split into two parts in 930 BC. Gosh, that's historical, isn't it? Um, by the way, I love history. The northern part went through a series of political and military crises until eventually it fell to the Assyrians in 721 BC. You've just been waiting to hear that, Ken, haven't you? It's made your life complete. <laughs> I could see you looking with bated breath there. Uh, the southern part was known as the Kingdom of Judah, and it remained relatively intact, relatively stable, until it fell completely to the Babylonians in 586 BC. And Chronicles is written... Um, only as the, as the exiles began to trickle back from Babylon in 538 BC. And that's when we see that the notion of Israel began to take shape again, that it was coming as one country. And our book, Chronicles, was written with the needs of this restored community in mind. Those returning from that lengthy exile. And really, what Chronicles does is bring together the books of Samuel and Kings, whilst also adding a little bit more detail about how the past affects the present. History is exciting, isn't it? It stresses how God was with them all the way through, from when they, well, when they came into being, really with Abraham. And it, it, it brings all of that together that that God has been with them all the way and that his promises were always faithful throughout the whole history of the Hebrew people. I love history. This was a time of great upheaval and massive change for Israel. When we pick up our scripture reading, King Saul has just died in battle. That was chapter 10. Well, actually he's taken his own life because he's been badly wounded he knows that the army has been beaten and that he's lost the battle. And he actually asks his young armour bearer to kill him. But the boy's too frightened to do that. So he takes his own life. It's a sad day for Israel that day because Saul's three sons are also killed. So the dynasty ends. We've had this king, the first king of Israel, the king that the people have begged God for because they want to be the same as all the other nations around them. But the king who disobeyed God 
didn't consult him about anything that he was going to do and went to mediums instead. This king has gone. This dynasty is finished. And now the anointed King David can be king in his place. So we go on to read in chapter 11 and verse 9 that David is becoming more and more powerful because the Lord Almighty was with him. And now we're in chapter 12. I know you've been waiting with bated breath for us to get there, but we're going to read about the number of warriors that were committed to David's cause. So now we have the background. Let me read you 1 Chronicles chapter 12, and we're going to read from verse 23 right through to 38. And I know it's a very strange reading for a Sunday morning, and I wasn't looking to do something particularly different, um, but this, I think we have to read the whole thing so we know why it's there. So 1 Chronicles chapter 12, and I'm starting at verse 23. These are the numbers of the men armed for battle who came to David at Hebron to turn Saul's kingdom over to him as the Lord had said. Men of Judah carrying shield and spear, 6,800 armed for battle. Men of Simeon, warriors ready for battle, 7,100. Men of Levi, 4,600, including Jehoiada, leader of the family of Aaron, with 3,700 men. And Zadok, a brave young warrior with 22 officers from his family. Men of Benjamin, Saul's kinsmen, 3,000, most of whom remained loyal to Saul's house until then. Men of Ephraim, brave warriors, famous in their own clans, 20,800. Men of the half-tribe of Manasseh, designated by name to come and make David king, 18,000. You're riveted, I know. <laughs> Men of Isaacar, here's our important one. Men of Isaacar, who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. 200 chiefs with all their relatives under their command. Men of Zebulun, experienced soldiers prepared for battle with every type of weapon to help David with undivided loyalty, 50,000. Men of Naphtali, 1,000 officers, together with 37,000 men carrying shields and spears. Men of Dan, ready for battle, 28,600. Men of Asher, experienced soldiers prepared for battle, 40,000. And from the east of the Jordan, men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, armed with every type of weapon, 120,000. All these were fighting men who volunteered to serve in the ranks. They came to Hebron, fully determined to make David king over all Israel. All the rest of the Israelites were also of one mind to make David king. So there's the army. Sounds to me like a huge army. But let me read you this verse 32 again. Men of Isaacar, who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. It goes on to pledge 200 chiefs with all the relatives under their command. But it's these, it's, it's these men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. All these fighting men, these soldiers coming together as one lean, mean fighting machine. I couldn't remember who used to say that, but I knew I'd heard it somewhere before. 
They're all focused, they're all able, they're all keen. But the men of Isaac had brought something different because they were also men who would fight, but they also understood the times and they, 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 they were living in and they knew what Israel had to do. The verse is totally unique among all the others and it spoke volumes to me. The church needs men and women of Isaac today, people of God who understand the times that we're living in and are speaking out against, so we're fighting back against all the sin that's around us. So in among all the stress of what was going on, these men knew what they had to do. If I asked you if you'd ever had any stress in your lives, I know for certain not one of you could answer no. Of course you do. Even the children in Kids Church last week shared those times when they get stressed, when they get anxious. It was quite a list of things that they got anxious about. But let me tell you, you should have heard them praying about it. It was a real, um, it was a real example of what we should do when we're stressed about things. All sorts of personal issues will have stressed you over the years. But there's also issues when we believe that our governments are getting intent on establishing laws that we don't really believe are the best thing for people's well-being. We can all think about the things that are going on just now. So many issues that are being raised in Parliament. We think, why on earth are they paying so much attention to that when there are so many other things needing sorted out? We vote in our politicians and we rely on them making good decisions, difficult decisions. But sometimes the decisions that they make are not what we want them, we want to see happen. Most, not all, but most in our government have forgotten God and they're living like Saul, failing to consult God, and they're relying on who shouts loudest to make, or it certainly seems that way, to make the decisions they make. The men of Isaac were willing to choose a different path. They read the signs of the times and they knew what Israel should do. We need that now. People who read the signs of the times and trust God to tell them what they should do. We pray God will raise up Isaacers in this day who will be in our parliament, so change your curse. So I want us just to spend what time is left this morning considering how we can be just like the tribe of Isaacer, reading the signs of the times in our day and trusting God for what we need to do. So as you would expect from me, I have three points. I was very impressed last week when Tom had three points, but... Um, you know, I have spent all of my adult life uh, teaching the three R's to children. Uh, so I'm going to give you three R's this morning for you to remember. So don't keep remembering your reading, writing and arithmetic. Um, we're going to start with read. It's there again. But we're going to read. Then we're going to recognise. And then we're going to redeem. So first of all, we're going to read the signs of the times. Secondly, we have to recognise those special times when God is moving. Is today not a special time when we've got the day of Pentecost? It's not by chance. It's, 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 it's God needing to do something, recognising those special times when God's moving. And also, we are to redeem the time that was lost to sin. So the first one, we're to read the signs of the times. The signs are around us, aren't they? Clear as crystal. Disgruntled people wanting more 
and more, yet never satisfied. No thought of God, just I can do it, leave it to me, I don't need anybody telling me what to do. Well, Jesus encountered that as well, and I want to read you something that was said to him. So Matthew 16, and we're going to read just verses 1 to 4. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, when evening comes, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you can't interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were the religious leaders of the day. They were the ones who should have known the word of God, who should have been watching for the Messiah coming. Well, they were watching for Messiah, but they had a particular way they were looking and not willing to look at Jesus as being the promised one. They were blinded, and yet they were threatened by Jesus, worried that he was more popular than they were, that they might lose their standing with the Romans. And oh my goodness, as religious leaders, was that not more important than looking for Messiah and God who was keeping their standing with God? <coughs> they were worried that people would listen to Jesus more than they would listen to them. And so instead of listening to what he was saying, they just constantly looked for ways to trip him up, to somehow catch him out. Jesus must have been so frustrated by them. Instead of helping the people, they were hindering their, the people in their walk with God. They understood the ditty that we all know, you know, red sky at night, shepherd's delight, red sky in morning, sailor's warning. And yet they were blind to the truth of who it was that was standing right in front of them. They asked for a sign, but the sign was there, visible for all to see. Who could have done what Jesus did without God being with them? They completely missed who Jesus was, too busy trying to find fault. We need to be really careful that we don't miss what God is doing, not only for us, but what he's doing for in Riverview, what he's doing in our town, in our country. They... Um, the Bible is, is full of promises and, and as we look at it, so many of them have been fulfilled already in Jesus, but there's still some promises to come. We know Jesus will return one day. We always need to be ready because we don't know when he will come. Some people claim that they've got spectacular knowledge, but the Bible is very clear. It says no one but the Father knows the time when he will come but we believe he will come and the signs are all pointing to that coming being near yeah. it's very tempting to label some of the brutal men that we've come across not only in history but even in our time brutal men that people say oh it's the antichrist this is it happening but we don't know we don't know we'll only know when God's appointed time comes but we do need to watch and we do need to pray. And we do need to be looking to God, not to man. His word holds everything we need to, to be able to read the signs of the times. 
So keep your wits about you, people of God, and look to his word, the Bible. Watch out for all the signs that are written there. There's clues all the way through scripture. Luke 17 and 26 says, just in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating and drinking, and they were getting married, they were being given up in marriage until Noah entered the ark. And then the flood came and destroyed them all. Normal life was going on among all the sinful acts that God hated until Noah, the righteous man, went into the ark and then with his family, and then the rain came. Luke also reminds us in that scripture um, about Lot leaving Sodom. God gives warning after warning, but Sodom is destroyed because the righteous one, Lot, has left the city. God God gives warnings, and God is, is very faithful to us, but you know, he will not be played There will be a day of reckoning when Jesus comes and then he'll judge the earth. But until then, there's a job for you and me to do. We are to proclaim the good news and see men and women, boys and girls, one for Jesus. Luke goes on to talk about some more of the signs at the end of the age, drawing nearer. In chapter one, he he warns us about false prophets and see what he wants us to be aware of will will happen but most of all he wants us to focus on being the kind of Christians who consistently live according to his word so we're back to being Jesus being Jesus so people can see Jesus he gives many signs we can relate to we see them happening violent eruptions of nature um, signs in the sun moon and stars tsunamis earthquakes hurricanes floods all manner of natural disasters. And if we thought about them too much, they would really scare us. But we don't need to be scared by them because all they tell us is that the time of Jesus' return is drawing near, coming closer. He talks about international signs as well. And yes, we can look at some of these and think that's it, that's it pointing the way, but it is just pointing the way. And we know that his return will come soon. So read the signs of the times. But above all, show Jesus to everyone you meet. The second thing is we have to recognise those special times, appointed times when God wants to do something very specific. Today's Pentecost Sunday. Let's go back to Luke's Gospel, chapter 19 this time. And let me just read you a couple of verses from there. Verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognise the time of God coming to you. This is, um, th- this is happening at a time when Jesus has just ridden into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. What a jubilant procession it was. The people cheering and rejoicing, 
waving their, their palm branches, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the name of the King who comes in the name of the Lord. They're all enjoying Jesus coming, except for those religious leaders. But God, Jesus tells the, the religious leaders who tell them to tell them to stop. He said, if I stop, if I stop them doing it, the stones themselves are going to cry out because they know who I am. And all seems really good. But if you go on just those few verses, we come to the passage that I've just read to you. This is the start of the time that Jesus came for. He knows his time is coming. He looks out over that city, Jerusalem, and he weeps as though his heart would break. He's recorded as crying once before when his friend Lazarus died. But this is different. He knows what's coming next for that city. He knows what Jerusalem's fate is. Its unbelief is destroying it. He recognised the time. I'm going back to my old favourite, Warren Wearsby, because he describes Jesus looking at Jerusalem in despair. And it really got me thinking about what it actually must have been for Jesus looking out over that city and what he must have felt. He says, if he looked back, he saw how the nation had wasted its opportunities and been ignorant that God had been right there with them in Jesus. If he looked within, he saw the spiritual blindness and the hardness of hearts. They should have recognized the Son of God. God had revealed his coming through his word. He'd sent messengers to tell them, but they totally ignored him. If Jesus looked around him, he saw religious activity that accomplished little. The temple had become a, relig a, a den of thieves, and those religious leaders were out to kill him. If he looked ahead, he saw terrible judgment that was to come upon the nation, the city, and the temple. In AD 70, the Romans would come, and after a siege of 143 days, they would kill 600,000 Jews, take thousands more captive, and destroy the temple and the city. Why? Because the people had not recognized that God had visited them. He came to his own, and his own received him not. It should have been a very special time, Jesus coming to earth. The Messiah had come, but they didn't want him because he wasn't the type of Messiah they were expecting. They wanted a king. They wanted a warrior who was going to take things by force. But Jesus was never going to do that. And you know what? It's exactly the same today. People want to do things their own way. Do what's right in their own eyes. Have their own rights respected. Do and be whatever they want to be. We see it happening. We see it, in our, uh, we see it in our government, the laws that are being passed because people shout loud and they're saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. But Jesus' rule offers the only way to peace and real freedom and real completeness and the unfortunate thing, folks, is that you don't know that until you actually cross over and you've asked him into your life and you realize this is what I was looking for all along because he fills that empty hole that's inside. You're not here by chance this morning. 
It could be that today is your special time. And you have to recognise it as being your special time when Jesus wants to do something for you. Yes, we come every week. Some of us are here absolutely every week. But, but that's not because it's, it's, it's a habit. It's because we can't wait to get to the house of God to hear what he might say to us today. This might just be your time today to find Jesus for yourself. To know your sins forgiven and bathe in that love that Jesus has for you. He loves you so much he sent his son to die for you. He just needs you to invite him into your life. That's it. Nothing, nothing else. Just invite him into your life. Maybe today is a special time for you because you, can, you want to go deeper with Jesus. It's Pentecost Sunday. It's the day when this Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh. And this could be the day that you find that, that you're baptised in the Holy Spirit, that you want to go fully on with God. You want to commit to him fully. You want to give him all that is of you. Well, he's here and his arms are open wide. And I'm going to tell you, you will never regret it. You'll never regret it because Jesus only has good in store for you. So wherever you are on your Christian journey, recognize that God is calling you. He's calling you now. Read the signs. Recognize the special times. And finally, we can redeem the times when we've gone our own way. Jesus is our redeemer. He's done it all for us. He's paid the price for our sins so that we could go free. Do you know how amazing it is? It's as though we'd never sinned at all. But it cost him a great deal to do that for us. Paul wrote to the Ephesian church with some really good advice. Chapter 5, verse 16. He says, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. It's great advice because he's telling us to walk worthy of God coming into our lives. Behave as Jesus would. There used to be little bracelets that young people in particular wore. Remember it said um, WWJD. It was to remind them to do what Jesus would do. Not as our old selves respond. Not, getting, uh, uh, not the way of get, getting it that it's all about me and what I want. But it's what would Jesus do? Instead, be worthy of his calling. Look carefully how you walk through this life the days are evil we see sin all around us but make sure our walk shows Jesus wherever we go to everyone we meet the only way people will see Jesus in Boness is if they see Jesus in you it's the only way that people will see Jesus as relevant for them most people have absolutely no thought of him at all but there's a day coming when they'll have to face the fact that Jesus is God, when they have to stand before him. Paul tells us to behave like wise people. Look carefully at how you walk. Everything worth doing requires that we take care. We take care of the things that matter to us. We, we take care of each other. We take care of our homes. We, we take care of our family. We take care of our job. We take care of our education or our hobbies or and that's only naming a few. We take care of things that are important. So as Christians, we really need to take care of our Christian life. So spending time with God, 
spending time in his word, hearing what he's saying to us. The word Paul uses in this passage, is John here this morning? Don't think he is. I was going to check with him before because I'm going to pronounce this really badly. Exagorazo. I don't think I'm doing that, but never mind. <laughs> okay. But it actually, the, 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 the word that's used there is that word. John will tell you next week what, what it actually is, how it's pronounced. It's not as good as your word, but it, it sounded a good word to me. Yeah. And it actually means to redeem or buy back. So we have to ransom the time from its evil bondage. So we're stuck in this. We're, we're in this place that, that we've got no choice sometimes as to laws that are being passed and what's going on. But we can redeem it because we can live differently. I don't know about you, but when I set aside time to spend with God, I'm absolutely amazed at the amount of things that come up that I have to deal with straight away instead of doing what I'm supposed to be doing and getting time with God. So many things to take my attention away from that time. So we really need to be aware of that. So when we settle down, we're not going to listen to all the other things that are crowding our, our heads. We read and we recognize and we redeem that time. We can't stretch time. We all have the same amount of minutes in, in an hour. We all have the same amount of hours in a day. And it's up to us to prioritize. What's the important things we need to get with God? Time is passing. And there are so many evil influences in our world. We must redeem our ways. Give to him as we should. We might have got it wrong in the past, but we can turn it around. Because God is always, always, always ready to forgive us and set us out on the right path again. Time is very precious. You know, the older you get, the more you appreciate that fact. We must redeem time by using it wisely, using it for God, by giving to others as well. It's not just about just giving to God. We give to others, and that's giving to God. Making the best use of every moment, showing Jesus to the world by our actions, not just by our words. We need to be Jesus to everyone around us, helping them. Let them see that they're valued and that they're loved and that they're not rejected. If they don't hear that from you, how else will they hear that God is for them no matter what sin has been in their lives? There are so many hurting, broken people out there in our town as well. And we have the answer to all their needs. Paul and Timothy wrote to the church in Philippi to tell them to read the signs, recognize the special times, redeem the past times. And as he said, they say, you may become blameless children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. Well, that's our generation, isn't it? In which you shine like stars in the universe. We were talking about glitter this morning in the prayer, in the prayer time because Tom came up with a fantastic verse. Um, but, you know, was it glittery shape we saw um, Jess? But, you know, that's, that's what we have to do. We have to shine like stars in the universe in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. That's how we redeem the times that we've got wrong. We live for Christ. Men of Isaac who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Can we now read that as 
people of Riverview who understand the times and know what the people of God should do. It's so important that we are Jesus in that community. It's amazing on a Sunday morning. We love when we come together. We have the most amazing, spectacular times. But if it doesn't affect how we live out there, it means absolutely nothing. But we can be people of Riverview who understand the times and know what the people of God should do. Seizing every opportunity to witness, winning souls, viewing people and treating them as Jesus did. No condemnation, just love, love, love. We're not here by chance this morning. God has us here for purpose. And his purpose is that he's building the kingdom of God in Bowness, right here in Bowness, using broken, wounded people who have been healed, who can come in and be made whole because this is home to them. What a God we serve. We were once far off, but now we're shining lights for all to see. Is that not amazing? I look at you twinkling out there, glittering, glittery sheep. But it's amazing that God has done that for us. So Riverview, please, read, recognize, and redeem. Paul to the church in Rome this time says, and do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake from your slumber because our salvation is, now, is nearer now than when we first believed. And to us, I believe he says, we know what to do, so let's just do it. It's about time. Amen. Amen.